Alex Marlowe, Editor-in-Chief of Breitbart News, and this is the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. I won't have much of a wind-up today because the opening of the show is mostly me giving some inspiring words, I hope, about what's at stake next week with the midterm elections before I launch into a few essential headlines, probably fewer than usual, covering a lot of big-picture stuff on the top of the broadcast. We do speak to Minority Whip Steve Scalise on the podcast today, as well as Monica Crowley, a former Trump Treasury official who breaks down the jobs data that broke during the live broadcast every morning on SiriusXM from 6 a.m. Eastern for three hours on the SXM app if you want the full show. But the data came out and we got into it right away. And I think she's got a pretty similar analysis to what I have. It's a good conversation. And let's get into it. like it's been a grind um the last couple of years it feels like going from the really from waking up the morning after the 2020 election and everything had changed you know we all went to bed thinking trump was probably going to win and then waking up thinking he probably wasn't and then it's been pretty hard since then trying to figure out what are the right narratives what to focus on and then to watch the Democrats squander so much goodwill in this country while attacking all of you people as violent liars, even if you're very nonviolent and very not liars. Um, but we're, we're here. It's Tuesday's a big day. And if any of you who are not sufficiently motivated to go out and vote and to round up everyone that you know and to say literally you will help them get to the polls and you will help them make selections not physically, but, you know, talk it through with them, then I I don't know what more you need to to see in this country. It is not just that the economy is doing so poorly. It is not just that the border is still open. We're seeing record levels of inflation. It's not that we have a fentanyl crisis that is killing countless people. We could barely even tally up fast enough every single day in this country. It's not just that we have, I think, lost a lot of standing with some of our allies in the world, as we discussed with Tom Cotton yesterday, how we've been particularly bad allies to people, that we've wasted so much of your money uh, in terms of tax dollars. But it's that you've been demonized by the people who are in power now. They've told you that you are not entitled to keep much of your money because Ukraine needs it. They've told you that any of you who think there's anything improper about the last election uh, means that you're a threat to democracy that you're all basically violent because there is one hippie nudist illegal alien from Berkeley who hit Paul Pelosi in the head with a hammer under very odd circumstances that we'll never know the exact truth about. Then I don't know how you can be satisfied with that. I don't know how you can't be sufficiently motivated to get involved if you're still on the fence. So, and I don't think any of you are, but maybe... I can inspire you to reach out to one extra person because there's a lot of these races that are just so tight and they're so important. Um, I'm thinking about, you know, Blake Masters versus Mark Kelly in Arizona. Uh, Blake Masters is either going to be a huge star for this country or he's going to lose a race narrowly. We're going to know that on Tuesday, red wave or not. I was just looking at a race, a house race in Michigan 
between Elisa Slotkin, who is a Democrat star, versus a guy named Tom Barrett, who's a longtime veteran, who um, I actually met a very long time ago when we were both in college, and is just the absolute best guy imaginable in another superstar in the making, but he's got to win this time. And that race is dead heat. And how many chances are you going to have to take the governorship in Oregon, the governorship in New York, a Senate race in New Hampshire? I mean, we're talking about uh, not to mention down ticket races, mayorships in parts of the country that you wouldn't think a, a America first individual someone who actually believes in our country's founding myth. Uh, the opportunities are myriad. And I'll tell you this, I don't have a single note in front of me as I'm talking right now, and I normally have some notes. I'm trying to speak about what we're all here for, why we all got up in the morning and turned on the radio today, and we know we're not listening to our favorite tunes. Uh, it, it is, this is the opportunity, it's here, it happened. The stars are aligning. The word has gotten out. The media has been rejected. And the closing argument from the other side, the Democrats, has been so pathetic, absolutely pathetic. John Nolte had a great catch yesterday that Joe Biden said that the midterms could easily be illegitimate. He said this. And then he goes out there and he says that if you question the election, then you are a, a, a you know, you're an election denier. Corrine Jean-Pierre of the White House, the spokesperson, said Brian Kemp stole the gubernatorial election from Georgians and Stacey Abrams. Uh, she accused Trump of trying to steal the election in 2016, or actually stealing the election in 2016. And then they treat all of you, if you have any problem with the we don't voter ID in this country, if you watched 2,000 Mules and you saw the community organizers driving around in the middle of the night to drop box after drop box and you wonder why that's going on, that there's something wrong with you. No, there's nothing wrong with you. You make sense. The people who don't make sense are the people who have all the power in this country right now. Biden was out in California. Yes, he had to go out to California to defend some seats. One seat that I'm talking about is one I've got my eye on in Orange County, um, where a Democrat named Katie Porter, who literally named one of her children after Elizabeth Warren, is another person who is going to be on the fast track to cabinet slots, Senate positions, perhaps being president on the Democrat side as a left-wing radical, but she could lose this race this time around because the red wave is here. And Biden has to defend her in Orange County, one of the upcoming stars of the party, and is now in a toss-up race in a part of the country that is kind of sad and frustrating for Republicans, as I've talked about on the show a couple of times uh, which my, with my friend HRH, who you know is out there, kind of our unofficial... Orange County correspondent, a part of California that was seen as conservative that is getting ruined because people from L.A. are moving there because it's better than L.A. So it is Biden had to go out there, try to defend that seat. Try to get the base motivated. And how does he do it? He lies and he says that 
um, uh, Donald Trump called Paul Pelosi's attacker, people like him, patriots. It's just like his Charlottesville hoax that allegedly propelled him to become president, saying that uh, Trump said they were fine Nazis from Charlottesville. Of course, Trump never said that. He disavowed the Nazis totally. I broke this down in Breaking the News. Joel Pollock's written about this extensively, Breitbart. They're using a guy who is a literal illegal alien, and they're saying he represents MAGA. The, the reason why there is MAGA is because there are too many illegal aliens. This was the issue that really propelled Breitbart into the national conversation, aside from all the wonderful um, theatrics and journalism that Andrew Breitbart had in his lifetime. But what really made us nationally, if not internationally, known was our, um, I guess, not just catching the wave. I mean, really, the, we were the ones behind the wave of the anti-globalist, taking anti-globalist ideas mainstream. Not to say there weren't other uh, the prominent anti-globalists out there. There are. But the, the people who took it mainstream were us. And we did it largely around the issue of immigration, which was consistently in 2016 the top issue for our readers, our tens of millions of readers. And the establishment didn't understand this. You know who did? Donald Trump understood that. Now we're being told this illegal alien who was accused of attacking Paul Pelosi, a guy who was a visa overstay living in a sanctuary city who would never get deported because of where he lives in this country. Because he is here and had the ability to allegedly waltz in to the Pelosi house break windows and somehow get all the glass on the outside of the house, not on the inside. May or may not have been his underwear. May or may not have been his underwear with his friend, Paul Pelosi. Paul's wear is not mine. All that's only possible because MAGA had not won out in that part of the world. If this guy was truly MAGA, he would have deported himself. And yet Biden's out there in California blaming all of you for that. You're all the blame. Um, it's exciting, isn't it? MSNBC had a guy on their air named Michael Beschloss, who is a presidential historian. Let me let me give you a sense of the the desperation over on the left's favorite cable news network. Cut one, please. And a historian fifty years from now if historians are allowed to write in this country, and if there are still free publishing houses and a free press, which, which I'm not certain of, but if that is true, a historian will say, what was at stake tonight and this week was the fact whether we will be a democracy in the future, whether our children will be arrested and conceivably killed. We're on the edge of a brutal authoritarian system, and it could be a week away. We're a brutal authoritarian system, even though the president is going to agree with this guy on everything. Your kids could get killed. Just know that. Just know that. If you vote against Democrats, if you don't vote the way Michael Beschloss and Chris Hayes and Barack Obama and Joe Biden and Hillary Clinton want you to vote, your kids could be killed. I'm really looking forward to all the fact checks here. Oh, and we won't be able to have a free press. Because that's what the Congress is going to prioritize. 
not trying to rein in inflation, not trying to secure the border, not trying to take on China. You know what they're going to do? They're going to reach out to Michael Beschloss's publisher and make sure that he can't publish his presidential his histories. Do you think he knows a Republican? Do you think he's actually talked to one? Uh, it sounds to me a little far-fetched that he would have actually spoken to any Republican recently and have uh, be emboldened enough to make such a clearly idiotic take. It's a hum- it's a humiliation. That is a humiliating thing to say, and he should be embarrassed. But what a delight. Wow, that is a definite clip of the year contender. That would save that, save that one. Make it a note. This is how they talk about you. That's why I play these clips. This is how they talk about normal Americans. Um, here's Barack Obama out in Arizona. Let's hear how what he say about Blake Masters. Cut three. If you were trying to create in a lab a wacky Republican politician, it'd look a lot like this guy, Mr. Masters. Campaign backed by a tech billionaire who's questioned the value of democracy? Check. Wants to give tax cuts to big corporations that are jacking up prices on consumers. Check. Thinks it's a good idea to privatize Social Security and, quote, cut the knot on the benefits that more than a million seniors here in Arizona depend on. Check, check, check. I, I, I got a little fired up about this the other day in Wisconsin, but it's true here in Arizona, too. Folks in Arizona have Social Security not because somebody's given it right, to pause. them as a payoff. So, so Blake Masters had said we should talk about privatizing Social Security. I'm all for outside the box thinking at this point Social Security is completely broken. And it is one of these problems that I don't know if it's possible to fix it. And Masters said that and then he took it back. But here's the main thing. He's talking about a young man who's achieved a lot of success. And he's got a mentor who's also a financier of his now, Peter Thiel, who they wrote a best-selling book together. Uh, and that's the way it works in this country, where if you find billionaires who will pump a lot of money into your campaign, you have an advantage in this country. Um, are, are we able to change the rules to do that? Maybe. But who benefits more from that, Democrats or Republicans? So, but if you made him in a lab that he's wacky, what's wacky about him? In fact, he hasn't called for, I mean, the corporate tax cuts is not on his mind. Uh, he's very skeptical of the corporations. As far as, um, you know, the wealthy people with big backers who have made a lot of money. Absolutely. But Blake Masters is totally fluent in all the issues. Other than, well, it's such a good crop. I don't want to single anyone out, but it's a, he is up there at the top tier of smartest people who's running. Why they say he's wacky? He's got three kids. He seems to be trying to live a semi-normal life for a guy who's clearly ultra-bright and ultra-successful at a young age. He's in terrific shape. Is that something to be frowned upon? 
Maybe that's right. He's got a unique look because he's in terrific shape. That makes him wacky. It's the, no, we, we need to have people who are wildly overweight and morbidly obese or maybe have hair plugs. Then we feel more comfortable. If Blake Masters shaved his head and then put in the hair plugs, then Obama would be comfortable with him. It is so demeaning to the ideas that put Blake Masters in the position that he's in. And I don't think it's funny the way Obama's talking. Blake Masters is where he is because of his ideas. His ideas are terrific. And that's why he's got a chance to win a seat he wasn't supposed to win. Um. Okay, here he, he here he rags on Kerry Lake. I'm I'm tempted to play this. Let's play Cup Four. Here's uh, the former president. Here in Arizona, uh, there's no question that that Katie Hobbs's opponent she's good in front of the camera because she's been doing it for a long time, right? So some people don't know this, but uh, apparently Kerry Lake actually interviewed me back in 2016 when I was president. She was, a, she was a local news anchor. She was doing her job. I, I have to admit, I, uh, I don't have you know, a, a clear memory of the interview. It's a little fuzzy. But I, I do know this. At the time, I don't remember thinking that she was the kind of person who would push debunked COVID remedies or promise to issue a declaration of invasion at our border or claim without any evidence that the 2020 election was stolen. I guess that stuff came later because she found it convenient, because she thought, well, here's an opportunity to get attention. Listen, if we had just elected So so that's the arguments against Carrie Lake. Okay, the argument is she's good on TV, um, that she wants to declare an invasion at her border, which of course there is one. That she called into question the 2020 election, which so many people have, and not to mention all Democrats that called into question the 2016 election. And then she pushed debunk COVID COVID theories, which I don't know which ones he's talking about, but uh, is uh, the, the the worst people on COVID were the people that were installed by our government to be in charge of COVID. So, uh, I, not compelling. I don't think it's going to compel anyone who was thinking about going for like hearing that last thing up. Oh, no, you know what? I'm going to go with Katie Hobbs who's been credibly accused of racism. So all they're doing is demonizing their opponents. And Obama himself had recently said demonizing opponents leads to violence. And then he's out there demonizing his opponents. And Biden is giving a speech calling Republicans a threat to democracy. This is a big opportunity. So many things are uh, so tight, so many tight races. Christine Drazen, slightly in Oregon's gubernatorial race. How cool would that be? And that's a tricky race because there's a third-party candidate in there. Um, it would be so nice to see how many, so many of these bad guys, how much they will hate it too. Jimmy Kimmel admitted to losing half of his fans because of his constant Trump hating. I mean, is that, is that the lish, the idea to get, make it a bad day for people like Jimmy Kimmel? Extra fun, extra incentive. I will mention a couple uh, tech stories. TikTok has admitted that Chinese employees can access private data on their users. 
So uh, this is particularly in Europe. But those of you who are not concerned about TikTok and your kids being on TikTok, it, it is a, uh, a plague. First of all, wildly addictive. Um, it is something that is a huge waste of time. I think it's rewiring our brains. And it's being controlled by the Chinese. And it's mind control. They limit TikTok. Um, they have a, it's a similar thing. It's not literally called TikTok in China for their own people. But here in the United States and in much of the West, people are just totally addicted to this thing. And it is uh, uh, causing, I think, not just wild amounts of time to be wasted, but it's also providing user data for the Chinese government that they were able to harvest. Are any of you concerned about this? All right, the right's new hero, Elon Musk, has agreed to restore Twitter censorship tools after his meeting that I mentioned yesterday with these leftist groups, including the ADL, the NAACP. So, and so far, his big move is he's going to charge $8 for if you want to keep your blue check mark, which I, I don't understand it, I have to admit. I don't, I don't know what that accomplishes. The blue check mark is what verifies people. It was designed originally to try to make it so that uh, you could distinguish between fake accounts and real accounts. So I don't know what the $8 is going to do, but he's trying to make people pay $8 to get the blue check mark. I have no idea who wants to do that. But there's a lot of people whose identity is tied up in having their blue check mark, so he thinks people will. I, I don't know the answer. But that's going to be his uh, his first trolley move he's made. But the other thing is that he's doing more censorship. There's no evidence that there's significantly less censorship since he took over. And he's talking to all the wrong people. So that is, uh, there is a big fight to try to keep the censorship tools available. And he sent a pretty clear signal that he wants to make the platform advertiser friendly. So to make it advertiser friendly, you're going to have to have wild levels of censorship. So that continues so far. Here's another interesting development that is political. Public support for aid for Ukraine has dropped. This is particularly among Republican voters. So in March, only 6% of Republicans thought we were doing too much for Ukraine in a Wall Street Journal poll, and we're now up to 48%. So I think people are getting the picture. And I said this the first time we cut that $40 billion check to Ukraine with no oversight. I said the issue isn't that if it costs us a little bit of money to try to keep Putin at bay without us having to get into a hot war with Putin, there's not some strategy to it. And it's not that we're all not sympathetic to Zelensky who got invaded. But because there's no oversight, it means they're just going to keep doing more and more and more. It happens every single time. Once you start cutting checks that are unaccounted for, then you are in this country, more checks come. And you realize that those Ukraine flags that people were flying weren't really just flags about supporting Ukraine. They were about supporting the military industrial complex with both party establishments and even now increasingly more of the mainstream left support. That that really all, it was all just a, a, a kickback to the military industrial complex. Once that became more and more clear, people are souring on it. And it's just a matter of time before I think more and more people get the picture. All right, last one for the opening. Greta Thunberg has called for the end of the West's oppressive, racist, capitalist system. 
So the next time any person who says anyone who's deeply anti-green or doesn't like a lot of the climate hysteria is concerned not just about the environment. We all like the environment. None of us like pollution. We all like the idea of cheaper energy. We all like the idea of sustainability. But the issue is that we were concerned that the main goal wasn't actually to save the planet. It was global Marxism and the destruction of the capitalist system. Well, now you've got your evidence. The superstar of the green left, Greta Thunberg, the kid who dropped out of high school to hold up a sign to prove to the world that she is a hero and we can all do our part to save Mother Earth. She says we are, uh, we are uh, trying to overthrow the capitalist system. That is what she's all about. That is, as the internet expression goes, saying the quiet part out loud. Wants to end the West free market capitalist system. She blames imperialism, oppression, genocide, and racist oppression extractionism for the failure and global climate breakdown. Who's the biggest polluter on the planet right now? I would submit it's probably communist China, which is still building coal-fired power plants and has announced their intentions on continuing to build those power plants into at least 2030. And again, that's not a real number. If they're saying 2030, it could be 2040, it could be 2050, it could be 3050. For as long as they want to do it, they're going to do it. The biggest communist country in the world. And in the meantime, the United States and elsewhere in the West, we're trying to develop technologies that might finally one day get us past the these uh, sources of energy um, that are not good enough for Greta. But I'll tell you, right now, if you're in Europe right now, you wouldn't be thinking about this at all. If you're in Europe right now, you should be thinking about, am I going to be able to heat my home this winter? And if the answer is no, it's because of people not like Greta, she's a high schooler, no one should have listened to her, but the people who empowered her and made her famous, like the World Economic Forum, who want normal people to suffer so that they can advance global, bureaucratic, technocratic, Marxist, globalist superstates. That's what they want. Greta's been the face of it, and now she's admitting the whole goal is to overthrow global capitalism. <laughs> Congressman Steve Scalise is the minority whip and he's heading for a bigger title after the red wave comes through next week, but we'll see the extent to which the wave could become a tsunami. And that is what is really the subject of conversation. We get into some of the races he's watching, some of the highest stakes races that are yet to be determined. Then I, I also, of course, get his take on the surreal speech Joe Biden gave where he acted as though only right-wingers commit, commit political violence, even though Steve Scalise was nearly assassinated by a left-wing activist who worked for Bernie Sanders, which is just truly unbelievable. Uh, that That is the time we live in, and yet it is. It very much is. Here's Steve Scalise. Congressman, it's good to talk to you, and I want to get into some of the specifics about what's going on in this country right now. But how are you spending the last few days before the election? Hey, Alex, great to be with you. And we are all around the 
east coast of the country this week. Uh, we were out in New York and Connecticut, where we have seats we're going to flip all around the New England states. Of course, New York, not only do we have seats that we can flip from Democrat to Republican in the House, uh, we did a rally with Lee Zeldin two nights ago, and you talk about excitement in New York. They're going to take their state back. Lee is doing a great job running for governor of New York. We had over 2,000 people at our rally in Long Island, and uh, you can just feel the energy, people that are ready to take their state back, ready to take their country back. Uh, I'm in Tampa right now doing an event this morning with Anna Paulina Luna, and then we're going to be going out to Lakeland, Florida for Laurel Lee, and we got just great candidates all around. We're going to be winning a lot of seats in a lot of places, Alex. Uh, I feel like it, and I opened the show trying to bring up some of the races that are on my mind that might um, be in play this time around that haven't been in the past. And these are big opportunities because you don't always get the particular political circumstances as we have right now. So it is just a huge moment. But are there any races you have in mind that you're really thinking about that you have your eye on in particular? Yeah, you know, and you look all around the country uh, a few weeks ago, we were out on the West Coast and, you know, places you would not think uh, as as conservative bastions are places that are getting ready to elect Republicans in place of their Democrat members of Congress. But we were in Portland, Oregon. And, you know, you, you look at the issue of crime as popping up. I mean, inflation is still the driving issue nationally. People don't like the Biden and Pelosi agenda, all the spending, what it's done to raise their prices of you know, going to the grocery store, when you go to the gas station, the open border. Uh, but in Portland, Oregon, you saw what happened two years ago when they defunded the police. They basically had you know, these, these people just took over parts of the city, and crime is still a major problem there. And we, we have an opportunity to win a few seats in Portland. You know, you go to, uh, I think if you look at uh, Pennsylvania, there's a lot going on, of course, with this huge Senate race. Uh, we all saw, uh, if not all parts of that debate between Oz and Fetterman, and Oz has been running a great race. But you've got a, a seat in Scranton, Pennsylvania. So you want a, an interesting race to watch that should be decided early on next Tuesday night. That'll tell you a lot about what's going on. Joe Biden's hometown. He loves talking about Scranton, Pennsylvania. I went to Scranton, Pennsylvania. We got Jim Bognett, great candidate out there. And Jim is running a phenomenal race. But imagine if Joe Biden's hometown flips from Democrat to Republican in Congress and what a message that would send. You know, you go along the border between Texas and Mexico. We have so many great candidates. I think a lot of people saw the Myra Flores race just a few months ago and kind of a shocker for a lot of people, but she's a phenomenal candidate. Flipped the seat we hadn't had Republican in 150 years. The sure. first woman born in Mexico to get elected to Congress. Well, next door, you've got a few more seats that can flip from Democrat to Republican. And so Monica Dela Cruz will be one to watch. Cassie Garcia. Uh, you could have literally a red wave all along the border between Texas and Mexico of seats flipping from Democrat to Republican over the Biden's open border policy. Yeah, and we're seeing a lot of the Democrat stars who are in really tight races. I'm thinking of Elisa Slotkin in uh, in Michigan. I'm thinking of Katie Porter in California. I mean, these are these are races you probably thought you weren't going to contest it, and you, you guys are right there. Yeah, I was in Michigan just last week doing an event for Tom Barrett, who's running against Slotkin. That has become the most expensive race in the country. And, wow. and yet you just feel the energy when you're on the ground there. You know, Michigan's not a place you would think, okay, this this place might have a red wave hit. 
And yet Gretchen Whitmer, their, their governor, has a chance of getting defeated because people are fed up with her. Uh, yeah. Barrett's doing a great job uh, and, and in a great position to, to beat Slotkin. So, you know, those are the kind of races that we're seeing all around the country. And look, they're spending $20 million in some of these races to try to save their wounded Democrat incumbents who have been voting for socialism. You know, you're voting 100% with Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi, and you try to go back home and say you're a moderate. You're not. You're a socialist. You've been voting uh, for policies that are destroying this country and crushing hardworking families. People are fed up with all the prices that they're paying uh, at the grocery store, at the pump, and they know who did this. And, and a lot of the people that voted for all these policies are going to get defeated next Tuesday night. Uh, you know, it's really interesting to look at. I'm going to leave some names out here, but I was thinking about how many Democrat stars just not just this goes beyond the red wave and who's going to control the Congress, but it's the their stars are uh, either losing or in very tight races. Uh, Stacey Abrams is going to lose. Uh, Beto O'Rourke is going to lose. I just mentioned Katie Porter and Alyssa Slotkin. Uh, and then Republicans, we could see a huge, and these are really tight races, though, and this is where people need to really get focused. But you're talking about Tom Barrett, Christine Drazen, Carrie Lake, Blake Masters, J.D. Vance, Myra Flores. I mean, these are potential another generation of stars, but they got to win this time, Congressman. They got to win this yeah. race on Tuesday, or else you might not know how far they could go. Yeah, and our candidates know this. I mean, you could see they, they are hungry, they're working incredibly hard they have a focused message they're all talking about the things that people care about and the democrats are just talking about their own power they're talking about things that aren't true they've got a lie and you know stacy abrams has to say oh it's jim crow in georgia yeah, and yet they're having right. record voter turnout the problem yeah. is they're not voting for stacy abrams they they don't yes. want <laughs> they want you know they they don't they don't want uh, warnock uh, representing him in the senate and so what are they going to say after that? You know, they're, they're going to say something else, but they, they will never admit that their policies got rejected by the voters, and it's going to happen. And if wherever you are in America, look, I know you've got people that listen all across America, Alex. Wherever you are, you have an opportunity. If you're in a, if you're in a congressional seat held by a Democrat who's been voting for socialism, you have to show up and vote next Tuesday. You have to get your friends to vote because you can actually do something about it. You know, you saw this in Virginia last year where people had had enough. They're, they're watching all the schools be shut down. And Youngkin said, hey, we can take our state back even in deep blue Virginia. And they did it. You know, it's going to happen in New York state. It's going to happen in a lot of states because people are going to show up. And it's not just Republicans. Independents and Democrats are going to be voting Republican in places you've never seen it happen before. And it's because people are fed up with big government socialism and they know they have an opportunity to do something about it. And we have phenomenal candidates and they're out there working really hard, talking about those issues. You know, the things that are in our commitment to America, bills that we'll actually see on the House floor again to push back against all these policies. We'll actually pass bills through the House to become energy independent again. Let, let's make our own energy. We don't need to beg foreign dictators for our oil and gas and pay $5 and have a diesel shortage in America, for God's sake, we can make our own energy. We do it better than anybody else in the world. Just get the government out of the way and stop blocking our ability to compete. And by the way, when, the, when Biden and, and Pelosi's agenda blocks Americans from competing, other countries are doing it. China's doing it more. You know, Russia and Saudi Arabia are benefiting from the failures of the Biden agenda. So let's just go reject it at the polls next Tuesday. 
Uh, are there any races you're concerned about? And I say this not as a challenge as much as there's a lot of people in the audience who I'm, I'm trying to motivate people to uh, make sure they're having every conversation they can over the weekend, if they're particularly if they're in areas with tight races. Yeah, there, I mean, the, the thing is, this cycle, there, there are probably 40 races right now that could be coin tosses, meaning they're coming down the wire. They're all within the margin of error. Um, you know, and the good news is the Democrat incumbent's under 50 percent, which is not a good sign if you're the incumbent, you know, but it means, let's say it's a 47 to 47 race. Uh, I think those mostly are going to break Republican, but I think that because I see the momentum, the momentum is on our side. The energy is on our side. Democrats are abandoning the Democrat Party. You're seeing more African-Americans and Hispanics vote Republican this cycle because they're fed up with it. Uh, they don't like defunding the police. They don't like open borders. They don't like high inflation when they go to the grocery store. And they, they know they can do something about it. You know, fire the Democrat who's voting uh, to, to defund the police and to support cashless bail and to open the border and bring fentanyl and all the drugs that are killing over 100,000 young people last year because they won't secure the border. We're going to pass bills out of the House to show the country how to secure the border. We're going to make Joe Biden have to confront these issues. You know, would he sign or veto bills? to create energy independence again in America and lower costs at the grocery store. So far, he hasn't had to answer that question because Pelosi won't bring those bills to the floor. We will. Steve Scalise is with me, Republican from Louisiana, at Steve Scalise on Twitter as well. Congressman, I have to ask you because your name has come up so often over the last few days uh, because Joe Biden seems to act as though there's only one type of political violence and it's from the right. And apparently uh, nudist hippies from Berkeley who are illegal aliens now speak for every one of us on the right. And if one of them gets violent, then that means all of us condone violence. You literally almost got assassinated as well as 10 other of your Republican colleagues at a congressional baseball practice. Uh, I've asked you this on the show in the past and other contexts, but this has has to be the most egregious example of just lying to the public for political purposes uh, that is uh, ignoring what you've gone through over the last few years. So uh, could you please tell us from your perspective what it's been like to witness Joe Biden's rhetoric lately? Yeah, you know, and, and it's it's so sad on a lot of levels and it, because your first feeling when, when you saw what happened is, you know, I'm, I want to pray for Paul Pelosi. I, 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 we need to speak out against violence of any kind. But then you just see too often the left wants to just try to take a crisis and morph it into uh, some kind of little you know, square peg into a round hole to try to take advantage of the crisis and shift it and, and just turn it into some way to blame Republicans for things they didn't do. This has got to stop. I mean, it's only dividing the country further. Yeah, the, the facts always come out eventually, and, and often they, they, they show a different narrative than what the left wants to spin. Uh, and, and so it, it only embarrasses people that are going to try to take advantage of somebody else's uh, tragedy and suffering. You know, their thoughts should be to pray for Paul Pelosi, not to try to find a way to turn it into an advantage for them politically. Uh, who thinks that way? Uh, so this is what's interesting Paul to me Pelosi sometimes. Right. So I was thinking about this in the context of parenting. The other day, I've got young kids and uh, I would like for my kids to agree with my values. And I, I can already tell, even though they're very young, that just telling them you must think this way is probably not going to be the approach. It's going to be use example, be subtle, be patient. And Joe Biden literally comes out there 
And he says that if you do not vote like I do, the leader of the country and the other Democrats who run both houses of our Congress right now, uh, then you are a threat to democracy. It, it feels like scolding. It feels very uh, too clearly partisan and too clearly agenda driven. And when he takes this example of this crazy person from literally Berkeley, California, who's a illegal alien benefiting from our sanctuary status out there, uh, and to suggest that he represents all of MAGA or whatever he says, extreme MAGA, whatever he calls it, it, it's so clearly what you just described. It, it can't work. It can't convince people to go to a side. But I mean, I guess we'll know Tuesday, but it just seems like such terrible political tactics. It, it is terrible, Alex, and people are rejecting it. Next Tuesday, you're going to see the public speak out for the first time since Joe Biden's been president about what they think of his divisiveness. Of, of his big government socialist policies, of the failures he's had on so many fronts. I know there's still not enough talk about the debacle in Afghanistan that cost us 13, uh, 13 of our great military soldiers, but also so many other people who should have never been left behind. Uh, people have been watching. They, they know when he speaks, he's just trying to divide the country further, and they don't want it. They're going to reject it. You know, he... He might not be on the ballot by name, but his policies and his actions are going to be on the ballot and people are going to speak out in places you haven't seen in a long time vote Republican. And, you know, it gives us an opportunity to go into communities we haven't been in a long time, places we haven't won in over 100 years. You know, I've talked about Myra Flores's race, but there's a lot of other races, too, that we haven't won in a long time. New England, we have opportunities to flip at least five seats in New England from Democrat to Republican, where today we don't have a single Republican. You know, and again, I've been there. I've seen, you know, from Maine to New Hampshire to Rhode Island to Connecticut, uh, where we have phenomenal candidates, and there's no Republicans there today. There will be multiple Republicans in those states come Tuesday night. And, and maybe in the White House they're going to wonder what happened. I can tell you what happened. People are fed up uh, with the divisiveness of President Biden and with the failures of the Biden Pelosi agenda. Barack Obama said demonizing opponents leads to violence. He said this during a speech where he was demonizing his opponents, but uh, evaluate yeah. that statement. Yeah, it's just, again, people are going to speak at the ballot box. That's where we settle our differences in America. You don't, you don't resort to violence for political reasons or other reasons. Uh, and, and when people do, they need to be held accountable. You know, again, Defund the police and cashless bail have led to out-of-control violence in communities all across America. And, and when I go to those communities, I see the anger that people have against the Democrat politicians who instituted it. You know, Lee Zeldin has been talking about this not just for a few weeks, but for over a year now. And people in New York, Democrats in New York, who maybe have never voted Republican in their life are going to be voting for Lee Zeldin because they're saying, finally, somebody actually cares about me and my problems and isn't just concerned about their own power, like Governor Hochul, who won't address these problems, you know, or Joe Biden uh, or Nancy Pelosi. Those agendas, those policies are on the ballot, and you can do something about it at the ballot box. That's where we do this in America. Congressman Scalise, uh, two more questions before I let you run. Uh, what are the issues? I think I know 
I can guess what you're probably going to say, but what are the issues that you're hearing when you're talking to people across country right now? What are they focused on most right now? Alex, in every community in America, it's the economy, it's inflation, the higher cost at the grocery store and everywhere else you go at the pump, and it's crime. Those are the issues that people are talking about. Obviously, there's other issues, too. They're concerned about the border, and, and, and especially when you add to that that you have over 100,000 young people die because of fentanyl coming across the border. And think about this, Alex. What that really means, because, you know, these numbers can get so big, you talk about trillions of dollars in D.C., and people's eyes just start glazing over. 100,000 young people dying last year means every single day today in America, 300 young people will die from fentanyl overdoses because Joe Biden opened the border. Today, 300 people are going to die. Tomorrow, 300 more young people are going to die, and they won't do anything about it. Uh, And it's happening in every community in America. Everybody in America knows somebody who died from a fentanyl overdose, and it's not – it should have never happened. These people should be alive today. This is a big sleeper issue. This is a big sleeper issue, and and it it does come up just in normal conversation with people in neighborhoods across the the country. So uh, last one for today, and this is the big one. This is where you guys are going to be expected to hit the ground running um, when you take the House in overwhelming numbers. Uh, What is the first moves during the lame duck session? Well, obviously, we won't be in the majority in the lame duck. We start in January, but I, I would expect that those people pay attention to what happened, especially in the Senate, where they can block things more because Pelosi will still have a majority for a few more weeks. But in the Senate, they still need 60 votes. And hopefully a lot of those senators that are going to be on the ballot in 24 are going to realize, okay, this is going to happen to me if I keep voting for this garbage. And we'll be fighting against uh, all of the things that we've been battling uh, in the lame duck session. We just need the country to stay engaged and i think the country is going to be engaged in ways they haven't in a long time come tuesday congressman anything you want to anything you want to plug right now where people should go online well i mean you can go to commitment to america.com and and look at the things that we're fighting for again if you're in a community where you're represented by a democrat go find out if you don't know who the republican is that's running you can go find out and you have an opportunity. You have an opportunity to take your, your country back. You can take your state back. If you're in one of those states where they have a battleground Senate race, there are a lot more of them now. I mean, even New Hampshire and Nevada, uh, it's not just Pennsylvania and Georgia and uh, Arizona and North Carolina. You've got a lot of places. I mean, even in Oregon, uh, there's a compet- the state of Washington, there's a competitive Senate race all of a sudden because people are going to be speaking out next Tuesday. Congressman Steve Scalise is the minority whip on the Republican side and probably have a bigger title in a couple months. Best of luck Tuesday, Congressman. Thank you. Always great being with you. God bless. One of my favorite people to talk to in conservative media is Monica Crowley. She's a podcaster and frequently appears on Fox and frequently fills in for me on the show. Um, Not typically the podcast, but on the live show, Sirius XM 125, the Patriot Channel. And she was a former Trump Treasury official, so was well qualified to comment on the jobs data that broke toward the end of the live broadcast today. Let's listen to Monica's take right now. Monica, good morning. 
Hey, good morning, Alex. Great to be here. It's great to have you on. And we got breaking news. So the U.S. economy added 261,000 jobs in October. Unemployment rate edged up a bit, but it seems like the main takeaway here is the job market is still incredibly hot, and that is in defiance of the Fed and the latest Fed moves uh, to continue to raise interest rates to the highest we've seen in decades. And it seemed like the main goal was to kind of try to prevent something like this from happening, and yet it has happened. Uh, But I want your take on it. Yeah, you know, throughout this last nearly two years that Joe Biden has been president and we've had unified Democratic control in Washington, Alex, really the only bright spot has been the labor market. We've seen, you know, strong additions pretty much every month um, in terms of jobs. And again, these are not jobs created by the Biden administration or any pro-growth economic policies. These are jobs essentially recovered after uh, the big losses during the COVID pandemic shutdowns. So we, but we have seen sort of the, this galloping pace of adding jobs back to the U.S. economy, and this month is no exception to that. But you're exactly right. Look, the, the Fed's job is twofold. You know, it's, it's maximum employment and keeping inflation under control. Their target inflation rate is about 2%. Well, we know inflation is raging at about 8%, right? And hit a top of 9, 9 plus. Now it's sort of settled in at the 8%. So we are way off that Fed optimal inflation target. So the Fed has been working overtime. They waited way too long. I mean, Alex, I remember being on this show with you for many, many months in 2021, screaming about inflation. Um, You know, in direct opposition to what the president, vice president, secretary of the Treasury, uh, head of the Fed were telling us that, oh, don't worry, it's just transitory, it's temporary. And you and I had this conversation many times starting in the spring of 21 that, no, inflation here was not going to be transitory. And we were warning that once inflation gets deeply entrenched, as it is now, it is very, very difficult to dislodge. So and very painful. So the Fed has been working overtime to try to make up all this lost time where they should have been raising rates a long time ago to try to mop up all of this excess money uh, that they put in the system and that the Democrats have spent and put down into the system, again, creating this crazy inflation. So on the one hand, they're, they're frantically raising rates, trying to mop up this excess money in the system. And at the same time, the Democrats keep spending on the fiscal side. And there's, you know, even when the Republicans take control of one, if not both houses of Congress, and we could talk about that in January, and they stop Biden's insane legislative agenda and they stop the spending, there is still so much money, trillions in the pipeline that they've already committed that needs to be spent because they've committed it. So, you know, we're looking at an environment here that is, um, I I think, going to get worse before it gets better. Of course, the Democrats are going to pin it on the Republicans if and when they gain control. But, you know, the housing, um, excuse me, the labor market continuing to be relatively strong is going to force the Fed's hands. You know, a lot of people are like, well, Fed is going to need to pivot soon and stop accelerating the rate of rate increases. And then eventually they're going to have to start cutting rate. Well, no, not when you look at this raging jobs market. So we're really in this weird moment here in the economy. It, it, It is so weird and it's starting to get troubling, I have to say, because we're looking at, you know, Amazon said that they're going to be pausing a lot of hiring. Apple is only going to be hiring 
uh, for R&D. Uh, Lyft is cutting workforce. Stripe's cutting workforce. These are all according to C- CNBC reports. Um, we know that Twitter is about to fire half their staff today. And we're still seeing a two-to-one rate of uh, of uh, we're still seeing in terms of job openings versus people who are looking for new jobs, which is wildly inflationary. So it is something that is beyond another, you know, 50 basis point hike is not going to slow that down, it looks like. And that just means you could be heading towards a maybe even a hyperinflationary moment, which is I don't even know what that looks like. I mean, do you have a sense, Monica? You mean like Weimar Republic, Alex? <laughs> <laughs> where, oh, no. where you're like in this hyperinflation. I think really the last period of time we saw that kind of thing in the United States was late 70s, early 1980s. And in that situation where inflation was just raging, um, President Reagan said to the Fed chair, Paul Volcker, at the time, do what you need to do to gain control over this crazy and out of control inflation. We got to get a hold on this. And so uh, Volcker turned around and it was very painful. We had an um, interest rates upwards toward 18% at the time. A lot of people don't remember this, but there was a big, deep recession as a result. Interest rates were at 18% or so, and, and the economy just sort of ground to a halt. But Reagan and Volcker understood that you got to have some short-term pain in order to get the economy back on track. And I'm afraid we might be heading toward that kind of situation. You know, I saw, when it comes to the Fed, I saw someone the other day say this um, and observe that historically, um, the Fed does not pivot in terms of slowing uh, the rate of rate increases or even turning it around and starting to cut rates until the Fed funds rate exceeds the rate of inflation. Well, the Fed funds rate now is at, what, about 3%, and inflation is running about 8%. There's a long way to go if that rule holds true in this situation. So I think we're looking at, you know, some painful times ahead. I think the consensus among economists and the big banks is recession ahead. We had a recession in the first yeah. six months of this year, right? But I think we're, we're headed back into that situation. So this is um, a, a two-part question. Would you think the Fed will now pivot the expected rate hike, but maybe not quite as high in December, and then maybe hit the pause button? Do you think that uh, strategy will remain? And uh, what do you think the recommended strategy is from your vantage point, regardless of what you think will happen? Well, you know, it's 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 a tough call, right? Because I, the Fed is so political now. They, they spend a lot of time discussing climate change <laughs> and, they, and the impact of interest rates on climate change, which is patently absurd. But they have gotten really uh, political in the last couple of years. So I don't know what they're going to do. They're, they're certainly um, open to the political whims here. Um, on, the, on the other side, I don't think they and Jerome Powell really want to go down in history as the, the folks at the Fed who lost complete control of really damaging inflation. Um, the, the consensus is, and look, obviously this can change, but at their next meeting, they might, instead of go for 75 basic, basis point hikes, go for 50, and then around March maybe stop and take a pause Um we don't know what they're going to do because we don't know what direction this economy is going, yeah. um, except to say well, that it's probably going to get worse before it gets better. I got American parts. I got American 
That's today's broadcast, and thanks so much to our wonderful producers, Zach Jones and Greg Eben, and to all of you who've told 10,000 and friends and family members about the show, and I'll talk to you next week. Oh,